tell her, you're my best. Sorry. Great thing about wearing hearing aids, you never know how you have to tell they're great, but they're, they're also awful. With the help of the Lord, I'm going to preach you a message tonight. Do we really live by faith? And I'm going to take what's probably an unusual approach at it, that's kind of the way I am rather unusual. We're going to look at two examples of faith. The first, Faith is far more than just believing in something. Faith means moral conviction of religious truth or the truthfulness of God or a religious teacher. So in essence, when you truly believe what your pastor or Sunday school teacher or people of faith tell you what you're basically doing is having faith in them. Really, when you get down to it, faith, and as we're going to look at more in my second example, faith is really not believing at all. It's the moral conviction. That's far beyond believing. When we think of faith, yeah, I have faith in God, I believe in God. I have faith in uh, anything else. But it's not really faith. It's a strong moral conviction because I can say I have faith, but this chair is going to hold me up. And I'm going to exercise faith. I'm going to go, that's faith. I believe this chair is going to hold me. But what we're going to look at tonight is that moral conviction. And the first example I'm looking at really doesn't mention faith at all. Well, we're going to, everyone's heard the story of, most of you probably know the story of Abraham better than I do. But we're going to look at some examples from the early days of Abraham's journey of faith, because to me that's what it was. It was a true journey of faith, because Abraham had to have a moral conviction to do what he did. But, it wasn't necessarily what it seemed to you know, the, the easiest thing for a believer, especially if you're a believer, you have faith, you're exercising faith, you claim to be a Christian, is our salvation. Because, I'm going to stretch here, but to me, our salvation, or our name being written in the Lamb Book of Life, is the only thing this word really gives us assurance that we have. Because do we really know we're living by faith when we serve God? No matter what you're called to do, are you really sure you're living by faith? But when it comes to salvation, as it says in Romans 8, 16, the Spirit bears witness our spirit that we're children of God. When it comes to salvation, God gives you the assurance, not only within yourself, but within the Word. But I'm going to guess, everyone knows that Abraham, Abraham now, like, like many others in the Scripture, he didn't start out as Abraham. He was first known as Abraham. When God first called him, he was Abraham. And it's always interesting when men really do great things, especially in the scriptures, for God, he usually changed the name. Why is that? Because really to do great things for God, whether then or now, you, your character has to change. Now I think the best example of that is especially in this day, or even the days of the New Testament, when Saul became Paul. A name meant something then. Names really don't mean much. Now unless it's a family name, it's just what we're known by. But names meant something to the Hebrews and Jewish, still do an extent today. But we're going to start out in Genesis, the 12th chapter. I'm read verses 1 through 4. If you, when you get there, if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the Word of God is the 12th chapter of Genesis from the King James Version of the Bible. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from my kindred, and from my father's house, 
unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curse thee. And in thee shall all family of the earth be blessed. Verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Paran. Please let me pray. Your most great Heavenly Father, we love and praise you, Lord. We thank you for the time to share your word, and Lord. I ask you to do me the words that you have to say, and give you the courage to say it the way you have to say it. Now, Lord, hide me behind the cross. Lord, I know I'm not the most eloquent speaker, but Lord, let not my words be heard, but let your words be heard. And Lord, let each person glean something out of this that they can not only help them in their personal walk, but that may help someone else. We love you and praise you, Lord. Let us truly see what faith is in your name. Amen. Thanks for standing. You may be seated. <coughs> now, Genesis 12 and 1 said, Now the Lord, notice the word, had, past tense. This isn't the first time the Lord called Abram to leave his home and to go into the first land. It said, And now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country. And from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land which I'll show you. I'm going to be honest, and in Acts 7 and 2 it says that God called Abram out of the land of Ur, the Chaldean. Abram is now not, he's already left. I want to read an interesting note from the Bible. From Acts 7 and 2 we learn that God first called Abram before he went to Haran. From Joshua 24 2 we learn that Terah, that's Abram's father, and his family were idolaters previous to this call. It was Terah that took Abram and others to, to go into Canaan. Terah seemed to have become converted to Abram's God and desired to flee idolatry and persecution from his neighbors. In this case, was not uh, in this case, Abram was not as disobedient as he is generally pictured. God repeats his call to Abram which was first given to him in Ur of the Chaldean. So see, it's not a lack of faith when you don't immediately answer God's call. There may be things that you need to work out. And so many times when people have a, and, we, and I believe it's possible, I know it hasn't been in my life, where you have a kind of lack of faith, where it's hard for you to continue on. Where it's not necessarily, because when we think of faith, the reason we struggle with faith is we automatically connect faith with believing. But just in that chair, I believe that chair a little bit. When I go out there, I'm going to believe that Buick out there is going to start and going to take me home. And one reason I believe that is I do keep that up. And doesn't the scripture tell us faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God? So the more the word of God you hear, the more faith you should have. And in fact, another place doesn't the scripture tell us that God gives us a fresh measure of faith? Once a month, once a year, every day. So we should never struggle with faith, and most of us truly do. When you think about moral, now, I'm going to back up here a little bit. I gave you that definition of faith as a moral conviction. I want to read it again. So these are not my words, but this is from the definition of faith I use is from strong concordance of the original Greek word. A moral conviction of, of a religious truth or the truthfulness of God or of a religious leader. 
So what we're truly doing, we say we live by faith, we're saying we live by a complete moral conviction. And, and what I think of when I think of a moral conviction is like on our salvation, you can't, no matter what you see or if you think you see me do, or no matter how I fail, I know that I'm saved. And I love what was said this morning. When you think of what sin is, it, I've always said if you consider yourself just an old sinner saved by grace, you're kind of in trouble. But in light of that, I've never looked at it really that way. If sin is really just simply missing the mark, Lord, forgive me. Yes, I But I don't ever feel that I can rise to the standard of this high calling. Yes, and to be honest, I don't know that I strive to. Because the more I try, guess what? The more I get in God's way. But once again, if you truly live by faith, you're living by conviction that what you're doing, if you say you're a person of faith and that you live by faith, what you're saying, you have a moral conviction of everything you do. But we don't live just once in a while, do we? We don't stop living for a period of time and then start back living again. So if you truly live by faith, and this Abraham is known as the father of our faith. And it's interesting to me, not only is he the father of Christianity, he is known as father naturally of Judaism, which naturally we basically came out of, but even, even further, Islam. The Muslims consider Abraham the father of their faith. And that's a whole other message there, because Abraham's first son, Ishmael, not the son of promise, but the son of him trying to help God out, is one of the key figures of Islam. When, the, when our Bible leads, tells the story of Abraham sacrificing Jacob, or Isaac, I'm sorry, the Quran tells the story of Abraham sacrificing Ishmael. And I say all that because Abraham's the father of our faith. But was he so completely trustworthy? Did he, was he so confident? Because I almost get through this isn't one of my scriptures, but I want to read it up so you don't think it's me. Uh, Genesis 15 and 6, this isn't in my text. And he believed this, speaking of Abram, and he believed in God and believed in the Lord, and it was a counter unto him for righteousness. But what the point I'm getting to, Abram struggled with his faith. Either... <laughs> Let me just read something to you. Still in Genesis 12. Skip over to verse 10. And, and uh, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to surgeon there, for the famine was grievous in this land. Now, I, I skip forward a little bit for attention. It makes sense. If there's a famine where you're at, and you know there's provision somewhere else to go there, Right? But Abram was not promised Egypt. He was not promised the land of Egypt. He was not said he would be, uh, Egypt would be a great nation out of him. So, was Abram truly trusted in the Lord at this point? Let's get back up to verse 7. And I'm not taking this necessarily out of context. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he, speaking of Abram, an altar unto the Lord, who appeared to him. And that word appeared, if you look at the Greek, literally means to see. And this is the third of ten appearances 
God made to Abram. But yet, Abram would go on to be a great man of faith. And the reason I'm laboring this point is it's so easy to look at your Bible hero, for lack of a better word, and say, well, of course, God, Abram, he saw, he, God appeared to him. You know, God did this for him. He lived in a time like this. I've even heard people say, of course I can believe in healing if I can really touch the hem of Jesus' garment. It would be easy for me to, to believe all of this if, if. Once again, a lack of faith. If, you tr- if we truly, and I'm saying we pray, because I know I don't have the faith that I need. And I know Sister Sue hit on something real close this morning that really was kind of got on my toes because she always talking about, you know, saying I. As I said before, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know how the Lord deals with you. But there was a point in my life that I used to have migraines really bad. I'm not going to story why. But when I first got saved, I could just pray and the Lord take the headache from me and leave. Guess what? That don't happen anymore. Why? Is, is the Lord not able to take care of a headache anymore? And no, because I've allowed my faith to be weakened for whatever reason. But, so was Abram truly the great man of faith that he's made out to be? Yes. But, is it God not a respecter of person? So if Abram, a man that is known as the father of Christianity and the father of Judaism, who a man God used mightily, if Abram struggled with his faith, should we beat ourselves up? Or even worse, it's one thing to beat yourself up. But it's another thing not to do what God expects or calls you to do because you don't have the faith to do it. See, it's so easy. Once again, it's so easy for a believer. I don't think anyone that's truly saved, you can talk them out of salvation. As it says, and I believe strongly, now you yourself can walk away from your salvation. But I'm going to be honest. There is not a living human being, as much as I love Diana, if we're and just, just I feel like we use another example, but I'm going to. If for some reason she decided she was no longer serving the Lord and told me, if you're going to be with me, you have to turn your back on Jesus, I'd leave. Because the simple reason, she's temporary. I hope I'm with her 50, 60 years. That means I might be old. But to be with Jesus is eternal, or to be without Jesus is eternal. That's forever. And I heard a wonderful definition of how long eternity is. Picture the world as big as our earth is, as a, and, and a bird flying around with his wings is barely tracing. When that bird works all the way through the earth, eternity will be over. Otherwise, it will never happen. But Abram struggled with his faith. Now, think about verse 7, and the Lord appeared. He didn't just speak to him, Lord, is that you? I believe that there was a shadow in Abram's mind. There was a shadow of doubt of who spoke to Abram. And then he appeared to him again. There was no doubt in Abram's mind that he was called to God to do this. And I don't believe there was a doubt that he was able to do it. But the bottom line is, ladies and gentlemen, he was human. And I believe that's clearly seen in verses 11 and 12. <coughs> Verse 11 of chapter 12 of Genesis. And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarah his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, 
that they shall say, this is, this is his wife, um, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Verse 13, say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that I may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. So the bottom line, he just asked his wife to lie. But not really. Because Sarah was his half-sister. And you can see that in Genesis, I believe it's going to be moment of 20 and 7. I'm not going to read it, but you can see. So Abel really was lying. Sarah was his father's daughter. Now, I know that's shocking to us today, but you have to remember, there was a completely different way of life then. And I bring that all up. So what Abraham was doing, he was justifying his, he wasn't really lying. He was only telling a half-truth. He was justifying his fear. And if you if we were to go on and read it, his fear becomes true. If you read on starting at verse 14, which we're not going to read it in the rest of the chapter, his fear, what exactly he feared, came true. The Egyptians did want his wife. And they probably would have killed him if it had been his wife. But he wouldn't have been in that situation if he would have trusted God and stayed where he was. So anytime, think about your own life, ladies and gentlemen. Anytime that you've ever had a, a lack of faith or got yourself in trouble, was it not because you really weren't trusting the Lord? Have any of us truly ever, no matter how bad the situation is, if we have that strong moral conviction, or if we really have faith that God is who He is, says He is, and He will do what He says He does, no matter what we come up against, we're going to go through it. Because that's why that song has the song. I, I can't quote it, quote, but I'm going to paraphrase that song. When she was talking about, in the storm, all I can do is hold on. That is all we can do. The only way we can do that in the storm is with the Lord's help. But this thought came to my mind then, and this is resonating through my heart. When I was thinking about this message of faith, yes, when you're in a storm, sometimes all you can do is hold on. And when you're a believer, the Lord will help you hold on. But what about when the storm's over? This is when your faith kicks in. I'm going to be honest, if it wasn't for the Lord's sustaining hand, when you're in the midst of the storm, you can't hold on. It's not you holding on it. Him holding on. And if you've ever really been in the storm, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about you because you don't have no money to pay your bills. So what? You're late. I'm talking about when it's severe. When you know that only God is going to sustain you through it. But what about when the storm's over? Yes, we give God the glory. Yes, but thank you. But what about then? Let's connect this to a physical storm. Everyone around, everyone that's here, and living in Northeast Oklahoma, it's all the results of tornadoes. Some of us firsthand. Or a flood. What was it? Three times your house flooded? You know, after that storm, you don't just sit there in the midst of the road. Oh, okay, God, thank you for getting out of it. Here, the road's gone, you know, don't have any of this. What do you do? You get up, move on, and clean up. And no matter what the storm is, when the Lord sees you through it, if you truly are a person of faith, you're going to get up. Because guess what? Storms usually are messy. Whether it's a storm of our own making, or it is something else. So not all bad things that happen to good people are their own fault. But the bottom line is, yes, 
I would love to say the Lord never left anything happen down in your life. But if He did, we'd be so lazy and pop of it. We would fit in our blood and assurance, okay, Lord, give me some more. <laughs> you know, I would love for the Lord to just, when I had to eat this, well, there is automatically, magically, money appear in my second. I, I, I trip over a bundle of money in my living room. It ain't happened yet. But the Lord's met the need many times. Like I heard somebody say one time, she had a fist on her head that she had already been told needed to be taken out. She said, nothing serious. She, every day she'd pray, she'd even anoint it with oil. And this is the woman's faith. Every day she'd anoint it with oil and pray. But then one said, Lord, I know you're capable of removing this. And she said she felt the strongest she's ever heard anything in her life. The Lord said, yeah, you got the money in your pocket, have it done. <laughs> Just think if the Lord truly did meet every little need we asked him for, that's all we would do. We would never do anything for ourselves. And that's the way some Christians are. They sit back. Okay, Lord, here I am. Here's my little bell. Call the bell off. Is that truly living by faith? Yes, that's having faith. It's great that you can trust in the Lord for everything. But there's a difference having faith and living by faith. Having faith is what I'm talking about. And yes, you know the Lord will. And yes, He does usually. But truly living by faith, but think about it. If we truly live by faith, we would never struggle with anything the Lord called us to do. We wouldn't. And raise your hand if you have never struggled with something the Lord wanted to do. Anyone? We've heard this man say many times he ran from God's calling, made an excuse for it. But when you answer that calling with the deep mess, calling. So if we truly live by faith, if we truly have a strong moral conviction, and, and that strong moral conviction means that no matter what the situation is, no matter what people say, you can believe it's going to come to pass. Do we truly? Abraham didn't. Let's take it one step further. Now let's, let's skip on Abraham. So everyone knows, I could go on about how he, uh, yes, God told him that he would have a child. His wife laughed about it. And you know, the thought, and it's always hit me funny. This, I don't know why I'm telling about this, but the scripture tells us Sarah was in the tent and laughed when she heard that. Laughed. So that means, correct me if I'm wrong, that means she had to have heard the conversation between Abram and God. And I'm sure Abram shared that with his wife. Don't you worry about not having a child. God's going to give us a child. What did she do? Laughed first. And then, which is this time, once again, awful in our day, she's like, take what, Abram? Take her, our, our handmaid. She's very fertile. You have a child of her. You know, ladies and gentlemen, luckily right now I can say there's not really any children in the house. So I don't know the boys aren't really paying attention to me. But you know what it meant for Abram and Hagar to have a wife, have a child together. That was commonplace. He wasn't doing anything anymore or not even illegal then. That was commonplace for a very moment to have a handmaid. But what they really were doing is showing a lack of faith. But they didn't trust in God for that. They trusted in themselves. But once again, God first called Abram to leave the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. He didn't do it. His father 
help him leave. Then he had to reaffirm that call. This time, I'm sure he took a step further. Abram's time to leave, he appeared to him. So there's already given Abram a second chance. Same thing with the child. He, God told him plain. I'm going to bless you, the child. He decided to help God out. So to me, felt and, and created a whole bunch of problems for the world. But once again, Ishmael is the beginning of the nation of Islam. And we know the, all the troubles of that. But once again, God didn't turn his back on him. Okay, you didn't listen to me. You didn't have faith in me. I'm through. God still fulfilled his promise. Abram's no different than us. Because the Bible is clear. God is not a respecter of person. But why do we ever struggle with faith when we have a book full of examples of men and women that, that question God, that argue with God, they ran from God. And that's what Abram did when he ran to Egypt. And then even when it comes down to the story of Sodom and Gordon, he didn't believe God. He bargained with God. Will you do it for this? I mean, you know, get real. He knew there wasn't 50. Well, would you do it for this? He argued with God. And still God used him, and he's still the father of our faith. God is no respecter of person. Faith, that's why, because the thing is, it doesn't matter that we die. I got a confession made. I've been I've struggled with a severe addiction my whole life. Doubt. I don't doubt that God can. I don't even doubt that He will. Just sometimes I doubt that He will through me. So when you think of faith as just believing, maybe you maybe I'm the only person that really sometimes just don't believe God will. But when you think of faith as, a, faith as a strong moral conviction, that's a little bit different. If you could get that in your, as my grandpa said, if you get that down in your knower, you wouldn't, nothing would be able to stop you. We could get to the point that God wants us to be convinced beyond a shadow of doubt that He will. And again, why is it so easy to have faith for salvation? but not to have faith for calling on your life to teach or to preach or to be a missionary. I'm going to be honest, when the Lord first started dealing with preaching, you know, for that time, especially the church I was in, they were big on, you know, sending missionaries out. You know, my greatest fear was not dark as Africa or some third world country. My fear was it's going to be a missionary. And I'm not exaggerating. That makes some of you, because a lot of people from missionaries, but that's how little I do not want to be a missionary. Because I knew if he would have spoke to my heart to move to Michigan and do whatever, I would have. I hope I'm not setting myself up. That is my fear because I do have a strong moral conviction. I want my life to be pleasing to the Lord. And to the best of my ability, it has been. I've always done it right, as I said earlier, no. But what sets a, a, a minister up for failure is not having a reverence for God or if it, or, or not have or even having a fear of displeasing God. That's the when you have we should have a fear of displeasing God. Like I asked an old old minister one time, he said, I said, I said, brother, you preach for a long time. How long do you have to preach before you get up there and you're not nervous and hands play? He said, boy, if you ever step that pulse and you're not nervous, sit out. You're there for the wrong reason. 
And they're going to step a step here for the right reason knows what I mean. So let's look at one other example before I get out of here. And to me, now this, this is a, a story of faith. For, it's a story, an account of somebody that really had no reason to believe that would be, but he believed. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt who Jesus was and what Jesus was capable. And that account is found in Matthew, the 8th chapter. I'm reading verses 5 through 10. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant layeth at home sick of a palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. I gotta stop right there for a minute, because I have made a little note here. I always wonder why Jesus said that. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He knows everything, but he still said, I will come and heal him. Verse 8, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed. Now notice, he didn't say this to the centurion. He said it to his disciples and those that followed him. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed him, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And just early, if you read the beginning of chapter 8, we see another example of faith. The leper came to Jesus and said, Lord, if thou art willing. Was that really faith? Now, Jesus healed him. But that was an Israelite, the one that should have known. But this centurion, truth be told, he was probably a Roman citizen. And wasn't there another place in Scripture where a Gentile came to Jesus, asking for something, and Jesus said, I didn't come for you. But yet, her need was still met. But when he heard this centurion, said, there's no need. I'm not worthy of you to come under my eyes. All you have to do is speak the word. Because as I said earlier, it would be easy to think of the tandem that Jesus, like when Jesus could actually touch it, he could have been. He could have went to that man's house. He could have laid in his hand. But no. the centurion had such faith, he knew all that was required was the word. Yes. If you're to speak my word, do we have that kind of faith? Or do we truly struggle? And when I say struggle, I literally mean physical struggle. If you're truly struggling with something, it's not, well, I don't know. If you're struggling with a problem, that's a good thing. It's when you embrace the problem and accept the problem as a bad thing. When you embrace your lack of faith, well, I just don't have the faith as much as so-and-so. You just made an excuse and basically what you should say, well, Lord, I'm not going to do it. I don't believe you. You have not put a strong enough moral conviction that needs done that I'm the person to do that. Because we hear it all the time, and it is, it is right. Well, if you don't do it, the Lord will get someone else. Yes, he will. 
But have we not turned that into an excuse for not answering God's calling? And I'm talking about talking about big things, anything. I want to, let's skip down one more time. Let's skip down to verse 13. Oh, and before I go any further, that word, he marveled. I don't know. I want to read this definition because it immediately blew me away. That word, when it says, uh, and Jesus marveled, it means admire or have adoration. So when Jesus marveled, what he was basically saying, think about this. For just a moment, think if you were that centurion. Because that centurion would have known what that word meant. And Jesus marveled that he admired that man. Is there a person in this room that I would love to hear Jesus say, I have adoration for you? Not our pastor, but the Lord himself. I want to read verse 13 in the same chapter. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it unto, done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the same, self-same hour. Notice what Jesus told him. You know, the woman with the issue of blood, he said, Your faith has made you whole. Amen. Otherwise, her moral conviction that Jesus could heal her made her whole. But here to the centurion, he said, Go my way. Otherwise, once again, the storm's over. It's time to get on up and go. And as thou hast believed, be it done. So if that man had not truly believed what he asked, it wouldn't have happened. How many of us truly believe when we pray or ask for something that it's going to come to pass? Be honest with yourself now. I don't believe the Lord will put it on my heart to say that if someone was struggling with that. As I said, my doubt. I don't doubt the Lord can. I don't doubt the Lord will. But sometimes I do doubt that He'll do it for me. Why? Because I know me. And I've always been blessed. I don't care what other people think. But I do care what I think about it. That may sound arrogant. But at the end of the day, it's just me and the Lord. And you know, I, I don't know why I'm, I'm saying this, but what is the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself? That's the problem. Some of us don't truly love ourselves. Some of us don't truly appreciate what the Lord has brought us through. You have to have a For some people, it's difficult to forgive themselves. As I shared with you once before, and I feel it's fitting to share it again. Because they say, once again, because I know me. I know what I've done. And for the beginning, the reason it was, it was hard for me to really even remotely even think that I knew the Lord, and it was definitely other people. I knew the Lord was calling me to, to share His Word. But it was so hard for me to get around the fact that some things I did. And the one day the Lord was uh, moved on my heart, and there was a message on forgiveness. 
And, and the preacher said, that means you have to forgive everybody, not just somebody. And the Lord spoke to me and said, that means you have to forgive yourself as well. And if you would just ask me, I would free you from that shame from the That's the thing. You know why it's so hard for some people to get over their past? It's because they're ashamed of their past. I was. I was. I've done things I'm ashamed of. And it took the Lord literally lifting that off of me to get me to the point that I could forgive myself. Because until I got rid of that shame, I didn't feel I deserved really fairness to be totally honest. And I don't think this is too far from faith. Because I had such a moral conviction that what I had done was so wrong. And I'm going to give all y'all something to think about. Like he thought. Go in the window, I pray for him. But I had such a, I knew what I'd done was wrong. It was, I didn't want to forgive myself. I didn't think I deserved forgiveness. And it took the Lord speaking as clear to my heart as when he called me to salvation. When he called me to repentance, that, that afternoon in that church, his voice was just as clear. If you would just ask me, I'd relieve you of that. Okay. I did and he did. And as I said, you know, this morning that song was, you know, such a wonderful move of the Spirit because it truly, all too often it is music that releases the move of the Spirit. But it, I can't get past the thought. Yes, all I can do is hold on. But it wasn't me holding on. But ladies and gentlemen, it's not a storm if you can get through it. The wind's not very strong if you can hold on. But when you know it's only the whole Lord holding you, that's not what he can give. But when the storm's over, get up and clean up and go on. That, that just resonated in my heart. Someone's holding on to a mess they need to let go of. And if you can't let go of it, you know, once again, I don't know at the time, and Sister Sue can relate to this, when we're in new life. People were sincerely crying to our Lord, take this from me. Take this addiction. I don't want to do it anymore. And you know, I don't like using the word, but I truly feel I had a revelation. The Lord got in the taking business. The Lord, because to take something, that means a physical force. But the Lord is in the receiving business. He's not, I wish he would just grab me by the neck and neck and shake me around. Because this is what you're going to do, boy, like daddy used to do. You know, grab that church calling to yeah, you're going to. The Lord's not like that. What glory would he get if he forced us to do anything? But he is in the receiving business. You'll bring it up here and lay it down right there and walk off and leave it. I've oftentimes, this is going to be corny, but I'm a corny person. You know, yeah, I don't say this, but, you know, I love Jeff Foxworth. And he loves, you might be a redneck. You know, if you're walling in, your dog both on a chain, you might be a redneck. But guess what? If your sin's on a chain, you might never get delivered. We bring it up here and lay down that altar and walk up and drag it on. I have literally wanted to bring this set of both of them and lay it on the altar. Cut that chain. Well, I love that song, Chain Breaker. He is the chain breaker. But guess what? We gotta not grab the piece and pick it up. You're not giving it to him if you're taking it back. You're gonna loan it to him. That's what the church wants to do today. Because it's such a lack of 
faith or that strong moral conviction, we don't truly have a conviction that what we're doing is wrong. We have so convinced ourselves. And I'm a strong believer, especially in the culture we live in today. There are people that don't know things that the Bible speaks of as being wrong because they've accepted. Not in the world. The world both accepts sin. But the church accepts sin now. And if that sin is accepted by the church, are you going to think it's wrong? Probably not. Because we have so long said some of the most dangerous words that has ever been spoken by Christians when they've done wrong. Well, the Lord knows my heart. You bet he does. And he knows you didn't mean it when you that forgiveness because you're going to do it again. But that's okay. This is Abraham multiple times. He will do it. it may take you a hundred times laying down before you walk. But if you sincerely lay it down every time, eventually you're going to leave it alone. We are blessed that the Lord is long-suffering. We've got to get back to a point in our life we call sin, sin. Yes, I know the Bible clearly says there comes a time when they will call evil good and good evil. But does that mean we have to? Does that mean we have to, church? That's where the church has gotten to. By being politically correct. Well, you're judging me. No. Now, if I say, Brother Edward, you keep doing that, you're going to hell. Even if it's true, that's judgment. A judge is the one that applies the conviction, the sin. But if I say, Brother Edward, you know what you're doing is wrong. That's not judging. That's plain error. And doesn't the Bible tell us that those of you that are spiritual things want to err and restore that person? But we have gotten so wrapped up in being fully correct, we don't want to do what the Lord requires us to do. But I'm sorry, there is going to be a whole lot of good people on that water track. Not because the devil. We give the devil entirely too much credit. Ninety-seven of the wrong in this world is, first off, a personal choice, and clearly it's taught this church. The second is because the church is accepted. So do you truly have faith? Do you have a strong moral conviction that sin is still wrong? That God still expects holiness? If you truly have faith that God expects holiness, and the word faith means moral conviction, do you truly believe that? Let's start acting on it. That's with love. We can't go through like I'm talking right now. I thought it's hard for me to really with the people that are in error. I sound like I'm mad all the time. Most people are. So there's some things I can say like I know tell them, I'm all young. I get worked up about stuff. I'm not mad. But if I'm passionate about it, I'm not going to talk about the normal tone. I wish I could. I'd be far more effective. But once again, I need to take a wrap. Sorry. Wrap it up over. This is what I want you to take from this message, though. Abraham struggled with being obedient to God. If he did, we wouldn't have so many examples in this book of things he did wrong. I mentioned a couple of them tonight. And it could go on and on and on. Gideon did the same thing. Paul sure did the same thing. So many in the Bible, very few did everything right. And we need to take that example and hold it up, 
not as an example that, oh my gosh, I wish I could rise in that. But we need to take these examples and say, Lord, you can use them, you can use me. But that, does anyone need prayer? If that's all, well, as soon as brother got up there can turn everything off, he can take over.